And if you brought a Bible, please open it up to Acts chapter 27. Acts 27. If you didn't bring a Bible, please grab one from under a seat in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that one home with you after the service. Make that your copy of God's Word that I pray that you will be in every day, being fed and blessed in every day. Acts 27 is where we find ourselves this morning. The last few weeks we've been looking in Acts 26 and seeing again, talking about the Apostle Paul as he stood before Festus and King Agrippa giving his defense. And he was in this position because, as again, these false accusations being brought against him by the the religious leaders, he's on trial before a Roman governor. And he demanded at that time, and he had the right to, Paul did, as a Roman citizen, a Jew who was a Roman citizen, he had the right to appeal his case all the way to Caesar, and he did. So with that, he's now set up here that there, he, he will get this opportunity. But in the meantime, Agrippa was there and asked Festus if he could hear Paul. And so we looked at that last week, this defense that Paul made before them. Well, that's where we find ourselves now. We're still in Caesarea, but we'll see right now in verse 1 of 27. Now, Paul begins his journey that will eventually lead him to Rome. Chapter 27, verse 1. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in an Edromidian ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. The next day, we put in at Sidon. They took a port there at the town called Sidon. And Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. Just a couple of quick notes on these first couple of verses here. Notice it says that it was decided that we would set sail for Italy. Decided that they were going to get there by boat. But who determined that they were going to Rome? God did, right? I mean, we talked about this before. This is all part of God's plan. God said, God told Paul, you're going to go to Rome. As a matter of fact, we saw back in chapter 19, verse 21, that Paul speaking that the Holy Spirit had been, had been speaking to his heart. He had come under such conviction, bearing witness in his heart and speaking, I must go to Rome. Jesus appearing to Paul in his jail cell in chapter 23, you'll remember, Jesus said, you must witness in Rome also. So what are the chances that Paul's not going to make it to Rome? And you don't have to read chapter 28. There's no chance. He is going to Rome. Jesus said it. You're going to Rome. You're going to be my witness there. And I I, I love that. I reinforce that because, guys, nothing can overrule God's plan. Nothing can change those things. God is going to move things in different directions. And we're going to see as we study today, it's going to look like they have no chance of getting there but they have no chance of not getting there. (laughs) Now, a couple of other interesting things just to kind of lay the dynamics here. We see this man named Julius. He's the centurion who is is entrusted with this to take Paul. And notice other prisoners. We don't know anything about them. What we do know about Paul is he is still an uncondemned man. He would not be going here if he did not appeal to Caesar himself. As a matter of fact, last week at the end of 26, we saw he'd have probably been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. 
So he is an uncondemned man. More than likely, however, all of the other prisoners are condemned men being sent to Rome to be used as lion food in the, in the amphitheater for the, or gladiator, you know, whatever going on there. That, that's probably their fate. But we see here, notice that there's two other people that we know who they are as we look at this. And I just did, as a underscore, as we start this, first it's in chapter or verse two, Aristarchus. We've been introduced to him before. He's been a traveling companion of Paul's. He's mentioned two other times in the book of Acts. We see here that he's a Macedonian of Thessalonica. No doubt when Paul was in Thessalonica, part of probably the first that came to faith and he traveled with Paul from that point. But who else do we know is on the journey? Luke is. Notice in verse, verse one, when it was decided that we would set, for it, set sail for Italy. So Luke now is joined back into the direct walk with, with Paul through this. And I just underscore that because we're going to see that this is going to get kind of crazy over the next couple of weeks as we look at chapter 27 and 28. And let me tell you, when things get crazy, it is always great to have friends with you. Paul has a couple of friends that are willing to go along in this journey with him by choice. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. It's good to have that type of friend that is closer than a brother that is there and is there for those times of adversity. No doubt this brings great comfort to Paul as he goes on and continues on in this journey that Luke and Aristarchus are with him. Colossians, by the way, Colossians 4.10, when Paul writes that, he refers to Aristarchus as his fellow prisoner. There's some debate as to whether he was a prisoner in chains or a prisoner in Christ, as Paul was. But no doubt, he's, he's there voluntarily because to get out of, if he was in chains, to get out of those chains, all he'd have to do is deny his faith, deny any, anything to do with Paul, and he'd no doubt be set free. But anyway, friends here, but let me tell you guys, when you are going through any type of adversity, when you're going through any type of trial, any type of storm, it's great to have friends, but there's one friend don't ever go through it without, and that's Jesus. We talked of this last week. Yes, he is our Lord. He is our king, but he also calls us friend. Matter of fact, John 15, 15, no longer do I call you slaves or only slaves for a slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. He's the friend that you don't dare go through anything without because guys, unlike earthly friends, no matter how hard we try, we can't completely understand each other. <laughs> We're going to have bad days. We're going to have difficulties. We're going to misunderstand each other. But Jesus never will. And Jesus <laughs> said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Well, we continue verse 4. From there, they stopped in Sidon. We see some unnamed friends here, some anonymous friends that help out Paul, give him some care, give him some provision, no doubt, for the journey. From there, we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. When we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship for Italy, and he put us aboard it. When we had sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty had arrived off of Cnidus, since the wind did not permit us to go further, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off to Salmon. 
and with difficulty sailing past it, came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lacey. I think that's kind of Fair Havens. This doesn't even fit with all their other names of the places we're going by. That had to be a Chamber of Commerce thing. But <laughs> they come into this, this port, Fair Havens, and if we could, um, I, I think we have a picture of the boat that, that this is similar to what the boat would have looked like that they were on to get a picture of, because I don't know what kind of boat you had in your mind, but it probably, if it was as mine, when I'm first reading it, it's a boat that holds about 12, 15 people, right? You know, when we're thinking back in this. No, we're going to see as we continue reading, there's 276 people aboard this boat. And it is a boat, a boat going from Alexandria to an Alexandrian ship going from Egypt all the way to Rome carrying grain. They, they would do this many times throughout the year. There was a regular flow of traffic taking grain to Rome from Egypt. And to think, if you think, well, that, that couldn't be possible, it, Josephus records a ship that he was on that carried 600 people in addition to the cargo. So this wasn't even the biggest ship that, that they come by. So you just, now we can have that as our picture. Now, if we could put, pop up the map real quick and we can kind of see where, where they started out in Caesarea down at the bottom and then kind of follow their way along. And then now they're trying to sail around Crete. They wanted to go to the north side, but it tells us because of the winds and everything, they went down under the shelter of Crete there and they land right there in the middle of the island at Fair Havens. Well, as they're there, we can continue now in verse nine. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous... Since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them. Just real quickly, it is, it's saying it's dangerous. The fast is already over. What he's referring to, what Luke's talking about, is the Day of Atonement, this fast that falls late in the year. And in this particular year, most believe it's 59 AD when we're looking at, the Day of Atonement would have been October 5th. Past that, we're talking mid to late October is to where we are. All sailors knew that from mid-September to mid-November, at best, it was extremely difficult to traverse the Mediterranean Sea. And from mid-November to February, it was virtually impossible. They actually closed down the shipping lanes at that time. So that's what he's meaning by it's extremely dangerous. And this is where they find themselves. Paul began to admonish them and said to them, men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there if somehow they could reach Phoenix, the harbor of Crete, facing southwest or northwest and northwest and spend the winter there. When a moderate south wind came, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing from Crete close inshore. Paul says, guys, he says this warning, I perceive that this is extremely dangerous. Now, he's not prophesying here. We're going to see that in a moment because he said, I think that there could be loss of life if we go. We're going to see later that he does receive that none of them are going to lose their lives. But he says, I perceive. And it's interesting when we see, when we see that word and, and understand what's, what's behind it. it. It means observing with experience. I see what's going on here. Basically, I've been here before, and we don't want to go. It's extremely dangerous. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us that at this point in Paul's life, he's already been shipwrecked three times. 
he's already experienced these things before and he's saying, guys, trust me on this. I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. We don't wanna do this. And I, 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 I emphasize that because he has the experience and he speaks up. Because guys, experience is a great teacher, but here's the cool thing. It doesn't have to be our experience. We don't have to make our own mistakes. We can learn from others' experience. We can learn from others who have grown and, and been through it ahead of us. And I want to challenge those of you in the room who have more experience than us or others that have perhaps been going through it a little longer. Is that politically correct enough? <laughs> that you get plugged in to some younger people's lives. That you share your experience with them. We have an amazing ministry here. I don't know if you're aware of it. It's called Marriage Mondays. Every Monday, down in the, in the video venue, a group of married couples get together and they talk about how do we do this marriage thing biblically. If you've been doing this marriage thing biblically for a while, would you please pray about getting plugged in there and mentoring some couples, being a part in sharing your experience with them? There's a whole lot of things that I'm sure you could say, yeah, we've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Let me tell you so that you don't have to go through that. There's, there's, there's a whole lot of little kids around here that would love to hear about your experience if you would be willing to serve in the children's ministry maybe once a month. Our youth group. There's all sorts of opportunities for you to get plugged in and to share your experience with others. Well, Paul tries to, and they don't, they don't, they don't listen. It tells us it, it goes to a vote. Kind of like saying, okay, who wants to stay here in Green Acres, Fair Havens? Who wants to stay? And Paul raises his hand, probably elbows Luke. Come on. <laughs> but the rest, see, it appears, decide that they want to go on, ignoring Paul's warning. You know, God used Paul in great ways, most of the New Testament that we hold, the letters written by Paul himself. And he gives us warning. He gives us a warning in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, Brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Sound like the times we live in? Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. I mentioned this last week. Over 80% of Americans say that they're Christians. Holding to a form of godliness, but denying its power. Certainly not walking out their belief. The verses two through four more describe them than actual born-again believers. Paul will continue on later on in the chapter. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Guys, 
No, no, great, no more time in all of history than right now is this under attack as much as it is today. The word of God. Even in so-called professing Christian churches. Professing it, but denying its power. He goes on, for a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. We can ignore the warnings as they ignored the warnings. We can look to what's going on around and ignore it and miss it totally. Because, guys, here's the bottom line. The majority is not always right. Just because the majority of people are saying, well, this is the way that we ought to go, that doesn't make it right. If the majority of the people one day tell us that what's in here is wrong, guys, they're wrong. And also notice verse 13, it says, when a moderate south wind came, supposing they had attained their purpose. Guys, initial favorable conditions don't mean it's right either. Just because it's a mega church and there's tens of thousands of people going there doesn't make that right. I love supposing they had attained their purpose. That's the problem, guys. We can suppose, but only he knows. His word is true. But they don't listen. I, I, find this, I find this humorous. I'm sure some of you will as well. They decide to leave there and head for Phoenix <laughs> and winter there. It's, it, the, these are the first snowbirds right here, right here in the text. And if we could pop the map up again real quick, Notice where Fair Havens is on the map in the dead center. And notice where Phoenix is, just a, just a little bit away. But just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a faithful trip <laughs> that started from this tropic port. A three-hour tour. Verse 14. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called Uroquil. Guys, any wind that has a name is a bad one. <laughs> and when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. Running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, we were scarcely able to get the ship the ship's boat under control. And after they had hoisted it up, they used the supporting cables to undergird the ship. Fearing that they might run aground in the shallows of Sirtis, they let down the sea anchor and in, the, in this way let themselves be driven along. They pulled the, the boat that struck, the, like the lifeboat behind it, they pulled that on board, they undergird it, they strap it with, with rope or with chains to help hold it together. That's how strong these winds are in the waves. They drop the sea anchor because they're concerned that if it's blowing them straight south, they're going to run into this area off of the coast in Egypt that is notorious for destroying ships. Verse 18, the next day we were being violently storm-tossed and began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. 
since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. They had no way of tracking where they were. The sun was, the, the clouds, they couldn't see the sun. They couldn't see the stars, the wind blowing in so violently. They were totally lost. And notice, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. Everybody in despair on the boat. We're, we're all going to die out here. We, they have no hope left. Verse 21, when they had gone on a little while, a long time, I'm sorry, without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, men, you ought to have followed my advice and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. Guys, we see here a major storm taking place. And the thing about storms is, is interesting. It's twofold. First of all, when storms come, storms come like this. Well, we can, let's use this, the metaphor in our life. When storms come in our lives, first of all, it reveals what we're truly made of. We can talk all we want. We can talk a big game. We can, we can put, this, put this big show on. But guys, when the big, big storms come, it reveals what we're truly made of. And can I tell you that's a good thing? We need to understand those things because as big as the storm is that we think we're in now, more than likely there's a bigger one coming. And God gives us the storms we're in now to reveal our desperate need for him and that we're not as prepared as we thought we were so that we can become prepared for the next storm that's going to come. He's faithful that way. Jeremiah 12 verse 5 says, if running with men tires you out, how are you going to compete with horses? I'm glad that happens. I want to know that it tires me competing with men before I'm competing with horses. If you're, he goes on, if you fall down in the land of peace, what about in the thicket of Jordan? So as God, through these storms, reveals what we're truly made of, we, we can grow in that and take us to the next step because it refines what we're truly made for. James tells us, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing or refining of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Through this process of refining, we get what we need to face the next storm, to face the next step, to continue on in the journey that God has laid before us. Again, he's faithful in that. The storms that come to reveal who we are, what we're really made of, are good things because they prepare us for what's next. Paul's been through a lot. I mentioned the three shipwrecks, but 2 Corinthians 11 goes through a litany of other things that Paul's been through in his life, preparing him for this moment. Because notice who stands up and speaks in the midst of the hopelessness. It's not the ship's captain. It's not the centurion. It's the preacher man that nobody listened to. <laughs> he stands up. He's the one because he's prepared for this. 
when we face these storms, it's important that we discern and that we learn. That we discern the storms, what it is, what's, what's behind it, what's going on. One of the things, and I've brought this up before when we talk about this stuff, we give the enemy way too much credit. When things come against us in our lives or we feel it's coming against us in our lives, we always say, oh, the enemy's this, the enemy's that, and it very well could be. But let me let you in on something. If it is the enemy, God will still use that for your good and his glory. But a lot of the times, it's not coming against us, it's coming for us. <laughs> It's actually the hand of God again moving through because there are different types of storms in our lives. There, there's corrective storms that are sent our way to correct the direction that we're going. We're going the wrong way. We might even think that we're going the right way. We might even have convinced ourselves that because of the conditions have been favorable initially and the majority of people said it was okay to go this way, that we're going all right. But God sends a corrective storm to get us going the right direction, right, Jonah? because it was a storm that turned him around. He was going the wrong way. God used a storm to turn him back to do go in the right direction. So there's corrective storms. We need to, we need to figure that out because it's, if it's a corrective storm, what is it, Lord, that you want to correct in my life? But there's also instructive storms. We look at that when the, when, when, the disciples out in the Sea of Galilee and the storm came, Jesus asleep in the boat. Why were they in the middle of that storm? Because they were perfectly obedient to what Jesus said. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. They set out, they set out to the other side in the middle of the lake. That's when the storm came. It wasn't corrective. They weren't being disobedient. They're in the middle of it because they were being obedient, but it was an instructive storm because at the end of it, they saw Jesus stand up and command the wind and the waves and boom. They said, who then is this? In those instructive storms, we get a clearer vision of who Jesus is as he instructs us in that. But guys, there's also directive storms because God is taking us somewhere. He's preparing us. He's using that. And that's this. Paul's going to Rome, but so are 275 other people. It's a directive storm. And we, we identify this. We learn from this as we're going through. And there's a beautiful pattern in this, in this almost like sermon outline that Paul gives us right here as he talks to them. Notice, first of all, in verse 21, men, you ought to have followed my advice. That is a really polite way of saying, I told you so. <laughs> but I like the way that it's written here because Paul's heart isn't that, I told you so, stick it in your face. I believe completely what he's saying here is not to rub it in, but it's to get their attention. Guys, you didn't listen to me before, and I told you this was going to happen. Will you listen to me now? And I love that heart in Paul, because that's the heart of God. So oftentimes we think that we get ourselves into a mess, and God is standing up there saying, I told you so, now sit down there and suffer for a while. But that's not the heart of God. His heart is just that. Okay, you didn't do what I told you to. Are you ready to listen now? Will you hear me now? Lamentations 3. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. If you've been going the wrong way, 
You haven't been listening to God. You've been going your own direction. His mercy is ready to be brand new to you today if you simply will listen and correct and repent, turn to him and listen and follow after him from this point forward. He continues, the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve. Guys, that is the, that, that's the key to understanding how these storm, this storm thing works. If we come to that understanding, to whom I belong. He, he is my master. And what a glorious master. But to come to that understanding, he said he'll never leave me, never forsake me. He's only good. He's the one who guides and, and leads me. So if I'm in this storm, I got to look for what it is that he desires to do in and through me with it. Not fight him. The Lord, the God whom I belong and whom I serve. I mentioned earlier that that verse that Jesus says, no longer do I call you slaves, but I call you friends. Again, better translation, no longer do I only call you slaves, because guess what? We're still slaves. But that means he provides for us. He protects us. He does everything for us. Because when we stand before him one day, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful slave, not friend, though we are. But this understanding, I'm his slave. He's my master. But what a glorious master, because he will never forget those who belong to him. Isaiah 49, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will never forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands. Paul goes on. This is what, this is what the angel said, the word of the Lord that came to him. Notice first, do not be afraid. What does that mean? That means Paul was afraid. And that brings me comfort. I don't know about you. Because the most together guy on the ship still didn't have it all together. Sometimes I feel that, that we put that pressure on ourselves. Man, I got to have it all together. When I do, da, da, da. Guys, here's the, here's the deal. We don't have it to, all together. But together with God, we have it all. That's, that, that's, that's what he comes to this. He understands this. Guys, don't be afraid. And Jesus doesn't bring that to this message to him in a rebuke. Notice he brings it with a reminder. He said, you must stand before Caesar. Remember that? Remember, I promised you. Don't be afraid. But in addition to this amazing reminder that he gives him, look at the surprise that comes after it. God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. <laughs> a bonus. Not only are you going to make it, but everybody's going to make it. But God has granted you. You know what that tells me Paul was doing? He was praying, interceding for everybody else on the boat. He wasn't so wrapped up in his own little situation that he was so me-focused. And that's what can happen sometimes when, in our, when we're in our storms, right? If we're going to be honest, we can get all me-focused. Paul wasn't. Paul was praying for everybody on the ship, including those who were the reason why they were in the middle of the storm to begin with. Not just his friends, but all of them. And here's the key. I believe God. Not I believe in him. I believe him. 
I believe what he says. I believe every word that he says exactly. He's going to do exactly as I've been told. But guys, his promises don't do us any good if we don't fully believe them. If we take them just half-heartedly, they're not get, we can't receive the full blessing in bo- right now in the promise. It doesn't delete the promise, but it, that's what causes the worry. That's what causes all of the stress in the middle of the storm if we don't fully embrace the truth and the fact that his promise is faithful. Trust in him fully, exactly what he said. Here's the bottom line. His word is more real than the circumstances you face. His word, his promise is more real than any circumstance you face. How? Because his word can overrule any of it. He's the sovereign king of the universe. He controls everything. When he said to the disciples, let's go over to the other side, he didn't say, let's go under, so they're going over. No matter what it looked like, no matter how bad the storm looked around him, the man with the withered hand that Jesus says, stretch forth your hand. The circumstances were, I can't. I'd have done it a long time ago if I could. But at his word and by an act of faith, the man stretched out his hand. Lazarus, come forth. The circumstances were Lazarus was dead and he'd been dead a long time. He stinketh. But how'd he walk? Because his word was more real than the circumstances. And God's word to us, his promise to us is more real than any of the circumstances we might see and face around us. But there is a but, if you'll see in verse 26, but we must run aground on a certain island. Translation, shipwreck. His promise is not that he's going to all of a sudden, okay, as soon as we pray, boom, we're out of it and it's a sunshiny day. That happened one time in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, but that's the exception, not the rule. A lot of times it's going to get to this point. It's going, to get, it's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to, we're going to go through a little bit more of the trial before we see the hand come through. But he promised he was going to, he's going to never leave us, never forsake us. And guys, ultimately, we know we have eternal life in him. Verse 27. When the 14th night came, as we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. They took soundings and found to be 20 fathoms. A little further, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. Fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out the anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship and and let the boat fall away. These sailors weren't listening to Paul. They were saying, we're still gonna take these matters into our own hands. Let's pretend like we're gonna drop the anchors. Let's get in the boat and let's get out of here. The little little boat. Guys, it's always too soon to abandon ship, no matter what it may appear. 
Because guys, we don't know what the next moment holds. But God's got this whole thing all planned out. Again, we can suppose, but he knows. Verse 33, until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. They've been working, trying to figure this whole thing out, looking, looking, and no doubt a little seasick too, but for two weeks they haven't eaten. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, and for this, for, for this is for your preservation, for not a hair on your head of any of you will perish. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. All of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. All of us in the ship were 276 persons. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. When day came, they could recognize the land, but they did not observe, or they, but they did observe a bay and a beach, and they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea. At the same time, they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresails to the wind. They were heading for the beach. But striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground. And the prow struck fast and remained immovable, but the stern began to be broken up by the forces of the waves. Verse 42, the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. That was common. If the, if, the, if the prisoners escaped, the soldier would face his punishment. So we're going to kill him instead of letting that happen. But, verse 43, the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intentions and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest should follow, some on planks and others on various things from the ship. And it happened that they all were brought safely to land, just like Paul said. Verse 22, he said, there will be no loss of life among you. The ship is going to be totally destroyed, but there's going to be no loss of life. And guys, no matter how bad it seems to be getting, if you're a born again, a true born again believer here today, there will be no loss of life for you. You will take one last breath here and then be in the presence of the Lord forever. Now, the ship's going to be totally destroyed, but no loss of life. Second Corinthians, therefore, we do not lose heart. But even though the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehend or comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Again, our circumstances, the things that we see, it's temporary. The things we don't see are eternal. We are so precious to him. We belong to him. Paul uses the phrase, not a hair from your head of any of you will perish. The Bible tells us they're all counted. Every hair on our head. I know. Psalm 139, how precious are your thoughts towards me. How precious, God, are your thoughts towards me. And how vast, as much as the sand on the sea. Guys, understand that. That's God's heart towards you. You're precious to him. I, 
Paul's going through this. Everybody else is in a panic. The ship's coming apart. All of this sort of stuff. And Paul says, hey, guys, let's eat. We got to eat. It's been two weeks. Just the composure, the relax. <laughs> they got to be wondering, how, how can you be like that? How can you be so calm? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the secret. Pray with thanksgiving. Thanks for the storm, God. Don't know what you're doing. Can't quite figure it all out, but I know you're doing something. Thank you for it. It's okay to pray that it's over. It's okay to pray for the end, but be thankful for what God is doing in it. Understanding again, he's... He's our Lord. He loves us so much. He gave his, his life for us. That brings a peace that the world can't understand beyond comprehension. Because again, we understand he's sovereign over all the circumstances. That's the one thing that, again, they made it safely to the shore and not, not to ruin the end of the book or the end of the next chapter, but they make it to Rome. Despite the fact that there's been numerous attempts on Paul's life, Despite the fact that, you know, this, this shipwreck scene, all of this stuff that's going on here, the storm where there was no hope that they could make it, yet they made it. Despite the fact that even in verse 42, the soldier's plan was to kill all the prisoners. God overrules all of that because his word is more real than the circumstances. One last word before we pray and worship the Lord together a little more. Romans 8. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that list. It is all inclusive. <laughs> Nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing. And in all these things, all of the circumstances that we face, we overwhelmingly conquer. And I love this, for I am convinced. By the way, that word convinced is the same word that is used in verse 11 when the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot. What, what are you more convinced by your circumstances, the things around you, the majority, the, the, the initial favorable circumstances of what it looks like? Or are you convinced by the word of God that says nothing can separate you? My prayer is the latter. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, no doubt. This message can speak, or it does speak to every one of us. Because the truth of the matter is, we're either in the middle of a storm, we've either just come out of a storm, or we're about ready to go into one. That's, that's life. Your word doesn't tell us that following you, we avoid storms. As a matter of fact, your word tells us we face the same storms. But we're built on the rock. We're built on you, Lord Jesus. We're built on your word. As the storms come, we... We know that you hold fast to us and you are the sovereign king. You are the one that holds the whole world in your hands. 
so we can have confidence. We can be convinced that though this momentary light affliction is heavy, it's producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So Lord, I pray right now specifically for any of those who are in the middle of a storm. Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them in ways that they never thought possible. Strengthen them, give them exactly what they need to navigate the storm, Lord, with the promise knowing that you will never leave them, never forsake them, that they would hold on to that truth. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't, you don't know that freedom, that assurance of being born again, you can, you can change that right now by going before him in your heart and truly confessing, truly giving your life to him and praying along these lines, just saying, God, I, I don't understand all of this, but I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand that I am in desperate need of a savior in Jesus. I believe you died to save me. I believe you took the full penalty for my sins, so right now I give you my life. I ask that you would forgive me of all of my sin, that you would come into my life, that you would take charge now, that you would guide and lead and direct from this time forward. Fill me with your spirit. Give me eternal life. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that gift. And we worship you now with clean hands and pure hearts that you have cleansed and purified.